Hi, I'm Tamina, gender equality activist and sales professional at a global technology company. When I graduated from college in 2017, I was struggling to figure out how adulting works. School did not properly prepare me for some of the most basic things that my young professional life would eventually throw at me. If this sounds familiar, please join me on this journey to empower young women who are, just like myself, still in search of a fulfilling, purpose-driven life. Welcome to FemHive. Hi, everyone. I'm very happy to welcome back Leslie Chen Young, who is the founder and executive director of Commonwealth Coaching. Her mission is to empower young professionals at every starting point to elevate their personal finances. Leslie is also the co-host of Seeds, a fabulous podcast around set topic of personal finances. We recently recorded an episode on how to manage your money basics. So if you have no clue about where to start, I highly suggest you check out that episode. Welcome back, Leslie. As always, it's so great to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me again, Tamina. It's been amazing to support FemHive, and I, I can't wait to continue hearing from listeners. Oh, thank you. You're too kind, girl. <laughs> uh, um, so like I said in the intro, last time we were talking a lot about the basics and you shared some really wonderful advice on you know, how to figure out your burn rate and knowing how much it is that you're spending. We talked a little bit about compound interest. We also talked a lot about how women are dealing with the topic of personal mm -hmm. finance and how you perceive that a lot of conversations with our friends and, and loved ones kind of exclude the topic of personal finance. So mm -hmm. I found that really, really true and interesting. But today, let's talk a little bit more about advanced strategies, because for those people who have covered those basics, like, you know, setting up a 401k IRA or Roth IRA, and who have some basic savings, who have figured out what their spending habits are, um, they might even have an emergency fund. What should those people focus on next when it comes to stepping up their game in regards to their personal finances? Mm, yes, I love this question because this is truly, I believe, where the fun can start to happen. So <laughs> once you get through those basics that you mentioned, understanding your burn rate, starting off that emergency fund and starting to get that money into your retirement account, I think now is the time to activate the dreamer in all of us. So whatever your wildest dreams may be, maybe you're looking to downsize and convert a school bus into a mobile home and travel across the world. Maybe you have a lifelong dream to travel back to your home country and live with your family or live in a new place. Maybe that dream is to start a business or even go to a secondary school like law school, dental school, physician's assistant school, whatever it may be. Now I think is really the time to take a look at what are some of those key dreams or even, you know, bucket list items that may be on your radar and start integrating them into what your financial strategy is. I love taking this approach, Tamina, because I think where most people get mixed up is thinking that they need to have a certain dollar amount to target. You know, I, I need ten thousand in my savings account, or I want to be a millionaire, or I want to be able to to make this much money. 
Well, mm. those dollars actually don't have value to you until you define how they're going to impact your life. And so maybe you want $10,000 because that means that you could develop an initial working prototype on a startup. Maybe you want to be a millionaire because you want to have a family of three in a relatively expensive, you know, part of the world. And maybe you're looking to have a certain dollar amount or make a certain income so that you can start donating to charities or support other family members. Tying those financial milestones to your life goals is incredibly important at the start and will help to guarantee success as you pursue them in the future. Mm. No, that's that's really wonderful to hear. And I always encourage everyone to kind of dream big, not just in regards to their own finances, but um, in regards to all aspects of their lives. But obviously... Mm -hmm. In, in a lot of in a lot of situations, having the financial foundation for that is absolutely critical. Right. So um, I love that. And uh, Leslie, just out of curiosity, what items are on your bucket list that that you want to <laughs> achieve over the course of the next couple of years? I knew you were going to ask me this. Um, <laughs> I would say the, a couple I've I've mentioned already in my example, so you can tell I'm a little bit biased mm -hmm. here. Um, <laughs> but I, I'd say certainly one in the longer term is to be able to be either an angel investor or venture capitalist that can use, you know, saved funds, investments, or other assets that I can leverage to be able to invest in early stage startups and truly founders that I truly believe in that come from communities like ours, specifically women who get historically mm. far fewer and, and have a much harder time gaining investments than men. And even, you know, in my situation for, for minorities and, and people of color in the United States, I would love to be able to use my platform, use my learned expertise to even start a fund to help others achieve their dreams and start their own businesses. So that's like a pie in the sky, you know, that is my ultimate dream to have that there. Um, But truly, you know, in the more short term, there's a couple of exciting things like trying to travel and see more countries throughout the world. I've kind of been on this 30 under 30 trek, but I think coronavirus is putting me on pause, at least for 2020. <laughs> I think owning a home is, is a really big one for me as well, as I am looking to lay down roots with my fiance, soon to be husband, um, and hopefully start our family. And then in general, you know, within hopefully the next 15 to 20 years, and I'm quite young and early in career, within the next 15 to 20 years, actually achieving paycheck independence so that mm. I can work in whatever capacity I want to, whether it be at a nonprofit earning $1,000 a month or on ad hoc projects that just spark my interest, I can really have ownership over my time and freedom to do whatever I'd like without worrying about what's going to pay for having a roof over my head. And so all of those things jumbled together. I've embarked on a 
very, very personal financial journey that is tailored to all of those considerations, right? The short-term travel, the medium-term house, this kind of longer-term, you know, paycheck independence, and then the North Star angel investing and venture capital. All very, very wonderful goals. And I know already that you're going to check every single one of those boxes. And oh. I cannot <laughs> wait to 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 have um, many more future conversations around that topic and all the goals that, that you have accomplished for yourself. Um, but going back to the venture capital and uh, angel investor piece, that's actually something that I am really passionate about as well. And I mean, you're you're mentioning this already. The dollar amounts that go into female-founded startups and startups that were started by minorities—it's just outrageous. Um, I, I'm not familiar with the most recent numbers, if there are any updated ones. But last time I checked, only four percent of VC money went to female founders and, and that's just ridiculous like I, I I don't even know how how that is still a thing in in the 21st century but it obviously made me very very mad so um, similar <laughs> to to you I'm hoping that in the future I will be able to be so financially independent that I can also invest some of my money in in female founders and minority founders and I know that there are actually a few um, funds that have emerged Mm -hmm. that support female companies, which I think is fantastic. But obviously that was just the beginning and we need so, so much more. And then I love that goal of of paycheck independence. Um, That is obviously a a very ambitious goal, but nonetheless, I think you will totally get there in in 15, 15 years time. For those people who are maybe not as familiar with with what that term means and how how you're planning to get there, I mean, obviously, we talked about compound interest last time, and there is just regular interest that you can also um, gain from your investments. But but how do you plan on getting there, Leslie? Yes, such a wonderful question, and I cannot take the credit for inventing this idea or inventing the pathway there. I have to thank so many finance gurus and authors within the financial independence retire early uh, movement, Mm -hmm. otherwise known as the FIRE movement. Mm -hmm. So if you're by a computer or on your phone right now, if you're curious, you could Google, you know, FIRE movement, uh, personal finance, and you'll see a whole plethora of articles, blogs, ideas, and even sources of inspiration of Mm -hmm. young people who, and by young, I'm speaking about, you know, probably a little bit um, younger than 40 years old or or certainly younger than 50 years old who are able to quit their nine to five early because of a couple of factors. One, they have saved a majority, if not a critical mass of their income. So I'm talking, you know, not just saving 10% of that paycheck, saving like 40%, saving like 70%. 
and really living bare bones in the present day to be able to create enough cash savings as well as put enough into the stock market that will allow you to depend on the returns within the market for a long period of time, much longer than the typical, you know, 20 or 30 years in retirement. So I would say, you know, for starters, if you're curious about this, step number one, Google the FIRE movement, the FIRE personal finance movement, And step number two, a fantastic book that I've finished this year and cannot stop raving about is Quit Like a Millionaire, written by Christy Shen. She is one of the best, I would say, storytellers and most detailed advocates for how to achieve the FIRE movement. I absolutely have anchored on the stories of thought leaders like Christy Shen, as well as philosophies like the 4% rule which in theory would allow me to build a portfolio that I would never run out of, even if I happened to enter into retirement at age 40 and live to 110. Wow, that's amazing. So note to myself, fire movement. I'm going to look that up uh, (laughs) right after hanging out because that sounds definitely appealing for sure. Um, And there is still so much room for education. So I'm really looking forward to to dive into some of those resources that you just mentioned. So thank you for that. Of course. Um, so now I'm going to be like a little bit vulnerable um, and honest with you because, you know, even though I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job with my finances, the faster I approach my late 20s, I'm in my mid-20s right now, Um, Mm -hmm. the more I start to stress about my long-term financial strategy, especially in regards to starting a family one day, and especially when you're a woman who has decided that she wants to have biological children one day, the clock is unfortunately ticking. And most of us um, don't even want to have to think about these things just yet. But it simply is a reality. And when I talk about this with my girlfriends, everyone is starting to freak out. And it just never ends um, in a a good way. Let's put it that way. Um, (laughs) what, What tips do you have to cope with? that burden that we kind of have as as women by virtue of biology (laughs) can I just say I love this question I love this question because not only do I consider myself a feminist not only am I so proud of all of the things that women are claiming as part of their lives and part of their legacy in in 2020 you know in in the most recent year that we have to date Um, Mm. But I also deeply believe in the woman's choice to be able to have a family if that's something that she is excited about and feels called to do. And Mm. I'll be vulnerable with you too, Tamina. I have many career goals. I have many personal goals, but I think none of them really stand up to my love for family and my desire to have a family of my own, children of my own one day. And so, you know, even if I I may come across as, you know, purely career driven or or 100% feminist. The answer is yes to both of those things. I just want to tell everyone it is absolutely okay to be that 
full, you know, fighter and advocate for your career and also be excited about a family, which is something that I'm currently trying to plan for. So thank you for asking this (laughs) vulnerable, but also so beautiful question. Um, Because the reality is for a lot of people that do want to have children, whether they are, you know, in their early years and thinking about the biological clock, or maybe they're a little bit further in life and thinking about what it looks like to adopt or have children in another kind of non-traditional way, there are a lot of things that you can do from the financial standpoint to be prepared. And I think the most important thing to do is to recognize what is valuable to you, what do you really care about within this child or these children's lives. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, and the reason I emphasize that is very similarly to planning a wedding or very similarly to buying a house. There will be like articles written until the end of time about what you should and shouldn't do and the most cutting edge technology that you should be getting and all of this feeling of keeping up with the Joneses that happens to when you have a child. And it happens in many ways. There's the expectation to have an additional room in your home for a child. There's an expectation that you are buying name brand clothes for your child. There's an expectation, at least in in a lot of Western civilizations, that you're using disposable diapers for your child. There's an expectation that you are, you know, doing really a lot of additional or extra things that may be valuable to you. And they may also not be valuable to you. And so I think step number one is really recognizing what is important to me? What is like a key value system that I can anchor on to when it comes to being able to provide for and support this child in the long term? So I think that's step number one. And then I think step number two is recognizing what are the absolute necessities on top of that that you certainly are going to want to have to plan for. Things like making sure that your housing is a relatively stable situation, having enough food to be able to, you know, feed not only yourself and other family members, but also a growing child. Child care is a a huge expense that many people um, end up paying into and in various ways, whether it be a live-in nanny or a child care facility attached to a school or a workplace or through having family members that are willing and able to try to contribute in any way that they can. And across even that spectrum of childcare that I talked about, we are looking at vastly different dollar amounts associated with each. And so that's why I always bring it back to step number one, what is your real value statement and what are the key things that are gonna be part of this experience of being a parent because not everybody wants to have a you know live-in grandparent to take care of their child but then on the same you know same other side of the spectrum not everybody wants to shell out thousands of dollars per month on a high-tech um, Montessori style you know children's care facility and that's completely okay so I'd start off with one you know understanding what what those values are what are like absolutely non-negotiables in terms of quality of life, but also, you know, how it relates to material things related to the child. And then secondly, looking at those really key expenses, housing being the biggest one, um, 
healthcare, of course, and food being others. And then lastly, of course, medical care, other kind of stuff, um, other education, if you're not going to private schools that might be part of that. So all that together, I know that, that there's so much uncertainty and I haven't offered anything concrete to anchor on, right? <laughs> there's there's the, the self-reflection process, then there's the like understanding basic needs process. A great place to start is actually to go online or buy books that are around the cost of childcare to really ground yourself in what that looks like. And if you're able and planning for that, being able to really um, take control of the timing at which you bring children or which you adopt within the larger context of your lifestyle and your income. So for me, what that looked like was, okay, number one, what's super important? I would like my children to be able to have a backyard to play in. That is super important to me. I would like to be able to buy organic food for them. Also important for me to be able to start contributing to college savings plans so they don't have to go out of pocket for college. And it's important to me that they experience a public school environment in a, a environment that is very diverse as well as very progressive. So all those things together, I'm looking at saving for college, at least, you know, tens of thousands per year. I'm looking at organic food. I'm looking at, you know, living in a house with a backyard. And I'm looking at living in a house with a, in a quote unquote, good neighborhood, whatever that means in relation to schools. Now, what isn't important to me are the clothes that they wear or whether or not they're wearing the brand name shoes or whether or not they have iPads. I really don't want my kids to have iPads, you know, small things like that. But that's how I would initially start thinking about this question. Well, you're certainly way, way ahead of me in having asked yourself a lot of those key <laughs> questions because I don't even want to go there just yet you know just like mm -hmm. like no um maybe in the few years and yep. yeah that's great <laughs> um I have a career thank you <laughs> um but yeah no I, I totally second your initial statement of saying that it's 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 totally valid to have those feelings and even when you are a very driven career-oriented woman it is okay to not feel guilty for also wanting to have a family and for wanting to be able to provide the best life for your future children, right? Um, Absolutely. Uh, but it's also like step by step and, mm -hmm. you know, then hopefully at some point you will you will have figured out um, your own answers to all of these really important questions that you just stated in regards to what your values and, and your most important goals are in regards to, to having a family. So, so that's maybe a good transition to, to my uh, next question, which is also about something that really freaks me out because um, <laughs> I, especially over the past few years, I see increasingly more friends from elementary school and high school who share pictures on social media of having become homeowners. And then Ooh. I just start to panic because obviously I'm not there yet and uh, it doesn't look like as if I'm going to be there anytime soon. Um, mm -hmm. Can you maybe talk a little about whether real estate is a worthwhile investment for people in their 20s? 
yes, I, I can. And being mindful of time, recognizing that we could talk for an entire day about <laughs> this, I'll yeah. try to keep it brief. The short answer to that question is that real estate, like any other investment, can be a wonderful investment opportunity for young people as they're beginning to build out really their net worth from the ground up. The reason why so many people like to go into real estate is, one, it, it's tangible. So for some of us investors that, you know, I'm, I dabble in the stock market, but I, I don't get a lot of joy out of, you know, processing online transactions and like watching this like you know ticker on my phone either go up or down week after week you know I, I recognize the utility but it's not just not my favorite the idea of real estate has almost been ingrained in me since I started watching HGTV as a young person <laughs> growing up in the U.S. so for, for a lot of people it's a exciting investment because it is very tangible um, and for mm -hmm. others, there are a lot of new policies within the U.S. and also even opportunities globally to be able to get invested in real estate early. So um, programs through the Federal Housing Administration, programs to be able to help first-time homeowners by have grants, and there are a lot of incentives in general. So overall, it is a definitely popular method of investing. One thing I would just offer as a point of caution or maybe a point of reflection, though, is that real estate is truly a, a long-term play, and honestly, most investing is, but when it comes to actually buying a home or buying some kind of property, yes, you are you know, building equity, you're building your worth through that property, but you're also engaging yourself with at least a multi-year process, whether it's finding the home, closing on the home and moving into the home, which could take upwards of a year for some, or even just selling the home, closing on the home and being able to move out of the home, which could take another year on the back end. Mm -hmm. We really look to stay in real estate, the kind of, um, you know, best practice in the field is to be at least looking to stay somewhere for five years, minimum, minimum. And for a lot of young people, and I'm specifically talking about recent grads, maybe two years out of school or, you know, give or take in, in each direction, it's really difficult to say, you know, I've moved to X city after graduation. I know I want to be here for five years. I mean, we haven't had to commit to anything in life for five years. Every schooling experience, unless you're in a, a you know, a, a graduate program is usually four years. You've, you've only done four years of high school and four years of college. And, and so the idea of thinking about something in a five-year format is daunting. And it also sometimes isn't realistic given how much transition they might be career-wise given maybe some desires to move back to a hometown or home country, and just general uncertainty around what you want your life to look like. When you're buying a, a property, most of the time you're really putting down roots, whether it is a single family property or a multifamily property. And so I say, you know, in general, it's a great opportunity. Of course, there's going to be nuance for each person and their own financial situation. Like you mentioned and like I'm experiencing right now, you know, now is not time yet, unfortunately. 
But I would also really take into consideration that question about longevity, because if you are looking at real estate in general, I'd say it's, it's a great thing to evaluate at a high level when you are young, um, but really do take into consideration that five-year benchmark that even some would say should be even longer before making that you know, major life decision. No, absolutely. And what you were saying earlier is, is, is so true. Like, I don't even know where I'm going to be living like six months from now, a year from now. So I definitely at this point in time and at the stage that I'm in in my life right now, I cannot commit to to staying in one place for five years. And so so I think that's why for a lot of people, especially those who, who are very career driven and who are willing to move around for for their job and their careers, maybe especially for those people it is very daunting to to think of real estate as a viable investment before they're truly ready to settle down mm -hmm. absolutely you, you've got it perfectly yeah so then leslie wondering what tips you have for steady wealth accumulation over time i know earlier we we're already talking about the fire movement and and paycheck independence obviously that requires a lot of sacrifice in the present um, but what about steady wealth accumulation over time yes definitely the biggest tip i can provide is to spend less than you earn mm -hmm. and save and invest in any way that you can as often as possible that is mm -hmm. by far the best way to build and sustain wealth Because if you are spending as much as you earn or spending more than you earn, your cash flow, the money that you're making is not staying with you and growing with you as you're growing as a person. It is coming into your account and leaving so quickly, too quickly to be able to really grow and develop a foundation. So that is by far the key. You will hear people talking about pay yourself first. You will hear different suggestions for percentages. For me, mm -hmm. I try to save and or invest about 30 to 40% of my income every single paycheck so that I'm only living off of 60%. And that is by far the best way to get started and, and really the only way to continue investing in real estate, investing in the stock market or investing in businesses. And the last thing I'll leave you with, Benina, is, you know, in regards to those three options, I would always encourage folks to think about investing or building wealth in the most creative ways possible. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is going to find the next Tesla. And mm -hmm. well, I mean, I know that stock has been struggling recently, but not everyone is going to find the next Apple back when it was 2000, mm -hmm. you know, and some change. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is going to go into flipping and rehabbing houses and not everyone is going to be the founder of the next Microsoft or Uber or, mm -hmm. you know, emerging tech company. And that's mm -hmm. okay. You don't have to be great at absolutely everything really have to find what makes you excited, what you're eager to learn more about and invest time in perfecting, and then there move forward within one of those three realms, either the stocks, the real estates, or the businesses. And while you focus on one of those realms, you'll have the other two 
on the back burner, almost in autopilot. So for me, I'm sure you can already guess. And just from talking to me and and knowing everything that I do, I am like full force into my business right now. That is where I'm investing most of my time and extra money to try to continue to grow that business. I believe in it wholeheartedly. And while I'm doing that, I am saving for that first home and I am putting, you know, maxing out my 401k so that those things are working in the background. But I know that my wealth building journey is going to include all three working at the same time with a sincere focus on what really drives me at this point, which is startups and businesses. Mm, No, absolutely. And I love I I love that. And especially what you were saying um, a few moments ago about living below your means really and not spending more than you make that's definitely something that I've tried to live by and what I what I love doing aside from you know automatic contributions to my retirement account every single month and and being very fortunate in the sense that I have um, an employee stock purchase program Mm-hmm. And my employer, which just automatically deducts a certain amount of money each month. I also, every single month when I get my paycheck deposited into my bank account, I try to trick myself by immediately transferring some of that money into either my savings account or into my my portfolio. So I don't even have the chance to touch that money. And then, you know, the next day my rent is going to get deducted. And then I only have like a certain (laughs) amount of money left to to spend for the rest of the month. And that's that. And that with that money, I, I, I could do whatever I want, because after having already deducted a significant amount of money, I don't have to feel guilty anymore about spending. So I, I, I've personally um, come to realize that that's a really great way to trick my mind into into um, just living with less that I actually have available. I love that, Tamina. I, I'm in a similar boat with, you know, just move that money out of your checking account, put it into mm-hmm. a savings account, put it into retirement, put it somewhere where you're not going to be able to access it. And mm-hmm. then if you need extra encouragement, I'm a big fan of the sticky note method. It is low cost, high impact. Put those sticky notes or write in a notebook, write on a journal, write on a whiteboard, those goals that you have, maybe some of those that are short term. Are you trying to get out of debt? Are you saving up to go visit your family during the holidays? Those things can really drive and motivate you and remind you that when you are going online to get some retail therapy and your eye flickers over to, (laughs) oh, wait, I want to go see my grandparents at New Year's. Mm. Chances are you're going to really resonate more with that goal that resonates with your values and Mm. what's coming up and so wonderful for you in the future, rather than expenses that are unnecessary in the present. And by no means am I perfect. I mean, I have my TJ Maxx splurges. I accidentally (laughs) ordered way too much on Amazon. I can't claim to be holier than thou at all. But a combination of moving that money into savings and writing your goals in a really high impact place, that has done wonders for me to be able to really achieve that. No, I, I, I can I can only say yes to all of that. Because, <laughs> um, sometimes it, it does take a little bit of discipline, right? And maybe saying no to, to splurging here and there. But I always am telling myself in those moments, 
hey, future Tamina is going to thank you for that. So yes. um, pat yourself on the back, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the next question was actually inspired by one of my good girlfriends because she was curious to find out what the most tax efficient manner um, to put your money to use was. And obviously that's going to vary across different countries and legislations, but mm -hmm. um, let, let's stick with, with the United States. Like, What would your advice be for tax efficient ways to, to handle your finances? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, of course, have to preface this with within the U.S., there is a subgroup of professionals that are tax experts for personal taxes, for business taxes and all of the above. And those are CPAs. So I would definitely, you know, first pass over the proverbial mic to them if you aren't working with a CPA yet or a tax accountant. I'd highly recommend to make sure you are getting targeted advice. But from my perspective as a financial coach that really coaches on the foundations of building out that initial strategy and putting the right habits in place, I'd say the number one thing that people don't realize is that the 401k and those other types of retirement accounts, they're not just things that you should do just for the sake of doing them. They are highly advantageous tools that make saving and investing for your future a lot easier. So myth number one, if you're, you know, investing in your 401k, that's just like savings and you're not actually investing in the stock market. Okay, no, the 401k actually is invested in the stock market. You wouldn't, you would be surprised by the number of people that come up to me and they're like, you know, Leslie, I, I just really, I feel like I'm not, I'm not in there enough and I'm, I'm not getting started and I'm missing out on the gains and we're in a recession and so I should be buying stocks, but all I'm doing is my 401k and I need to start investing in the stock market. And I love it when people are so passionate, but I do have to bring them back to the basics, which is that if you are investing or contributing to a 401k account, you are investing in the stock market. And that is a wonderful thing. Myth number two, which is related to your tax question is, well, you know, how can I be most advantageous with my taxes? And I don't really understand this process. And of course, like I mentioned, the best professional to advise you on that would be a CPA in the United States. But the second beautiful thing about the 401k and the individual retirement accounts or IRAs is that they are tax advantaged accounts, meaning unlike investing in other means where you are tax on the money when you first make it at your employer, right? That, you know, income tax gets taken out before you even see the direct deposit. Mm -hmm. Then you, you know, pay transaction fees to be able to invest in stocks or investing whatever you are trying to invest into while you're kind of executing the transaction. And then you're taxed on the gains that you get on that transaction because the government's like, oh, looks like you made money in a different way this year. Let's tax that as well. And instead, these retirement accounts actually help you save on taxes at either one of the two endpoints. So if you're investing into a retirement account in a traditional way, you're actually putting your money in before you pay taxes in the present. And in the future, when you take out that money, at that point, you pay taxes on what you withdraw. 
So in that way, instead of paying taxes twice, now we only get to pay taxes once. On the other hand, if you wanted to contribute to those accounts in a Roth method, meaning after taxes, you could put your money in after getting your direct deposit today. And in the future, when you withdraw your money, you don't have to pay taxes on your withdrawals. Last question for you today, Leslie. Um, I met something that's actually really dear to my heart because I've just noticed that so few of, of my girlfriends are actually comfortable talking about money and they haven't really had the, the chance to really educate themselves because as we were mentioning um, on our previous episode, it's just not something that comes up in high school or in college and especially women don't really receive a whole lot of mentorship when it comes to finances. So what advice do you have for women to feel more confident about their finances in general, Leslie? Yes. Number one, social media is a powerful tool. There are so many finance influencers that you can follow that are doing amazing things. I will, of course, shamelessly plug what I'm doing as a personal finance founder, but you can also follow thought leaders like Sally Krawcheck. She is a number one investor coming from Wall Street and now is the founder of a financial technology company. I really also like Chelsea Fagan from The Financial Diet, who blogs about how to master your finances as a woman. And specifically for women of color, I really, really enjoy the resources My Fab Finance and Clever Girl Finance, two online communities and resources built for women by women to help you navigate these journeys. And if you have the opportunity, I'm sure your closest friends, as they advise you on your relationship, your career, on your development, you're probably also going through the same questions financially. So if you're able to pop open a bottle of wine or share a cup of tea together and really talk about what you're feeling vulnerable about, you might be surprised by what your friend or your mentor or your sister can tell you that you wouldn't know if you hadn't asked. That's wonderful advice right there, Leslie. So um, some really, really great resources that you just mentioned. Thank you for that. And I will look into some of those as well. And you all heard it out there, ladies. Talk to your <laughs> friends. We're all in this together, right? And like I said a few moments ago, I think it's so important that women start to feel more comfortable about money, about finances, because it's such an important aspect of our lives that allows us to to achieve many of our dreams and provide the type of life for our families that we, we wish that we provide for them. So, yeah, really, really, really helpful. Um, I think we've come to the end of this second episode, Leslie. Thank you so, so much again for yet another fabulous set of tips. Like I said, I just love it when women are confident and comfortable talking about money, um, being financially literate and establishing some sense of financial independence is so, so important for women. So I'm a huge advocate. And yeah, thank you so much for, for joining me again, Leslie. As always, it's so wonderful to talk to you. 
It has been a complete and absolute pleasure on my end, Tamina. Thank you for all you're doing for FemHive. And if anyone listening to this episode or the last one wants to connect directly, I'm sure Tamina will be sharing my uh, social media information. Mm -hmm. Please reach out. I love to hear from other women who have these questions or who are even starting their finance journeys. Beautifully said, Leslie. Thank you so much. And ladies, y'all heard it. Um, if you want to learn more <laughs> about how to trade money stress for real happiness, please go ahead and check out Leslie's podcast called Seeds or visit her website at commonwealthcoaching.org. And that concludes our show. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Since we're just starting out, it would be amazing if you left us a positive review on Apple Podcasts and shared FemHive with all your female coworkers and girlfriends so we can empower as many young women as possible. Make sure to also follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. I'm Tamina Stoll, and I hope you will be tuning in again next week. Take care, ladies.